Welcome to What She Said on 105.9 The Region. I'm your host, Candace Sampson. It's hard to believe that 20 years has passed since 9-11. It feels like a lifetime ago and only yesterday all at the same time. Where were you when you heard the planes had flown into the Twin Towers? That's the question we're asking over on the What She Said Facebook page today. So be sure to pop on over and share your story as soon as the show is over. But first, stick around for another incredible show with amazing guests because there's a lot packed into this show. If raising kids is priceless, why does it cost so much? That's the question we're diving into today for the fifth in an eight-part masterclass with Meridian Credit Union. Nancy Taylor, Senior Wealth Advisor at Meridian, joins me to discuss the price tag that comes with kids and how, with a little planning, you can avoid some major pitfalls. It's all part of our big plan to get you financially fit in 2021. In a world seemingly divided on just about everything, there is one ability that can inspire and connect and is repeatedly being hailed as a superpower. That skill is empathy. And my second guest, Aaron Thorpe, is on a mission to help all leaders learn this powerful skill and implement it in their leadership. She joins me to share how mastering empathy can get you further ahead at work and in life. This is the time of year that Ann Brody works around the clock with Tiff in full swing. This week, she joins me to share the best of the capsule reviews she's seen so far, including Night Raiders, a disturbing story in its own right paralleling the traumas of the residential school system for generations of First Nations. Plus, some new movies and shows you won't want to miss in theaters and at home this week. The negative thoughts we have about our body are not our fault. They are learned from the culture we live in, where we've been conditioned to believe that our worth is in our appearance. Spoiler, it's not. Summer Inanen, a professionally trained coach specializing in body image, self-worth, and confidence, joins me to share ways to break free of the noise. When the pandemic first hit, women across the country were forced into their homes and into their kitchens. After cooking roughly one million meals, or at least it feels that way, we're ready for a break. Thankfully, Janine Rain, co-founder of Zing, a Toronto-based company that makes chef-prepared pantry shortcuts to help home cooks bring a meal from their fridge to their table in 15 minutes or less, joins me to share the inspiration behind the company making cooking easier for at-home chefs. Finally, play is an essential part of child development exploration, and how we learn about the world and how it works. Sadly, it is often dismissed. Francis Fishman is the co-founder of The Playbase, a behavioral services provider that helps kids grow through what they need most, play. She joins me to share why play is so crucial in development and how to get more of it in your life. It's another full week at What She Said with interviews that empower, educate, and entertain. So let's jump in right now on 105.9 The Region. Raising kids is priceless. Why does it cost so much? This is the question we're diving into today for the fifth and an eight-part masterclass with Meridian Credit Union. In the last class, we talked about decoupling stress from money, and so it's fitting that we're taking a closer look at the costs associated with raising a family, because the last thing you want to be when you're starting a family is stressed. Nancy Taylor, Senior Wealth Advisor at Meridian Credit Union, joins me today to discuss the price tag that comes with kids and how, with a little planning, you can avoid some major pitfalls. Welcome back to the show, Nancy. Happy to be back. 
This is a fun conversation. I mean, we all adore our children. Uh, and I don't think anybody's quite prepared for how expensive they will be, right? So expensive. Um, somewhere between ten dollars and $15,000 a year till they're 18. Wow. You know, That's crazy. It is. And at the same time, we're suffering an income loss because we're, we're you know, in the first year we're on mat leave, we have a little bit of loss of income and EI will support some of that in maternity leave, but it's really not to what you currently would be making in a normal environment. Yeah. And some families spend $10,000 or more on their baby's first 12 months. So expensive in the first couple of years because it's new and you want the best of everything. And and you quickly kind of look around you and think, hmm, this isn't cutting it for me anymore. You perhaps want to go to a larger home or a home, a bigger space in any regards, whether you're renting or ownership, or you might want to be closer to where your kids are going to eventually go to school. You're searching out schools. And I know this was a big one for my husband and I, when we were driving home from the hospital thinking we need a safer car and a more dependable car. So all these things can be very overwhelming for new parents. Uh, in the first couple of years. I remember when my children were, were infants, I thought, this is so expensive. It's, it's, it's got to get cheaper down the road. And I can tell you as the mother of two teen girls that it never gets cheaper. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. Teenage boy. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about some of the things we can do then to mitigate, uh, you know, the stress, to make things a little easier. Uh, how can we plan for that? It try to just generalize um, a little bit of a comfortable budget. You have nine months while you're preparing, and we, we like to think of all the fun things that go along with that, like the nursery colors and themes, but try to make finance a part of that um, pre preparation. Um, there's so many things that creep up that we don't even think about. Like there's the regular things we think about as new moms and new parents, but there's so many things that can creep up. To, um, to challenge that budget. But as long as you have a little bit of a budget and you're understanding what that could look like, I think that gives you a little bit of peace of mind heading into the next couple of years. So um, today I wanted to spend some time around some of those unexpected costs that, that could creep up and um, smack us in the face if we're not ready. Uh, and one of those is you remember in the first year you're, you're sleep deprived and you know everybody else's life seems to be going on and you're kind of, your child's sleeping a lot and you're not maybe dining out and eating as much as you normally would, but we could we could really fall into our headspace and do a little more online shopping than we're used to. It's um, those knee jerk reactions in the middle of the night when your baby's sleeping or when they're not sleeping. Like the, try not to get online and do too many spontaneous uh, clicks on the computer, and try to stick to that general budget that you've maybe prepared in advance. Uh, that's a big one, actually, and um, more common today probably than ever before with everybody online now. Another one is just um, around the unexpected um, things we don't like to think about, um, such as wills and, and uh, life insurance, because you have a dependent now. It's not just about you anymore. It's about your loved ones. And uh, a real responsible thing to do is, is to really take a look at putting a will in place with regards to um, guardianship of your children should something happen to you. Uh, and life insurance for either you or your children are, I think, a very responsible step in the right direction. Uh, I guess this journey of life, that step of preparing for my children in, in the moment I wasn't around in case I wouldn't be around, mm -hmm. that is a very emotional uh, step to take as a parent. And yes, the costs associated with that, you don't think of that, but you'd have to have it all in place. So yeah, you do want to definitely give that one some thought. And what a wonderful feeling, like just the peace of mind knowing that that's looked after. It's astounding, like 51% of Canadians don't even have a will. 25% think they're too young for a will. As soon as you have net worth, you should have a will. And as soon as you have a dependent, you should absolutely have a will. And I think 18% think that it's too expensive. What are, what are the costs of not having it, right? So it's just a real responsible kind of get hit you in the feels. <laughs> Yeah. And, and the, the reality is, if you don't take care of it, you're leaving that burden to somebody else to figure yeah. out. So you want to make sure your wishes are, are covered. All right. What else would we have an unexpected cost? I'm sure you have so some those like extracurricular activities. You know, you want to put your children into so many activities and expose them to everything. And, um, you know, my son had travel hockey, travel soccer, there's dance, gymnastics, all these things. 
And when we polled Canadians uh, about this, 55% of Canadians said, you know what, this, this was a huge financial burden for me that I wasn't expecting. And uh, 32% of them actually admitted to going into debt to fund these extracurricular activities. So uh, you can't get a head start on everything, but understanding what those costs around the corner look like, not just in the first couple of years of having a child, but once they hit those years where you're going to want to expose them, I think is a real uh, mature way of looking at your budget as well. And then you start getting into those years where you're having birthday parties and oh my gosh, there's so much different uh, than they were when I was that age, but 20 kids, $20 a pop, uh, $400 boom right out the door. So understanding what those costs look like. And, and there's always grandparents that are willing to provide cash for things like this. And we can pull those resources together. So it's not always out of pocket for us directly. You know, we talk about this a lot, planning, preparation, and, you know, because these expenses do come up. So what are some ways parents can actually prepare for these long-term costs and maybe some of the shorter term unexpected costs that come up? Yeah, good question. So we have the registered education savings program, which is fantastic uh, here in Canada. You get $500 free money every year on the first $2,500 annually that you put into the plan. Um, so that's to a maximum of $7,200 of free money you get for your post-education uh, post for your children. Um, you also, you know, consider this really just part of your budget right out of the gates because it's so hard to play catch up later and you may miss out on a lot of that grant room because you can't play catch up. So, you know, Again, when grandparents, and I have a lot of my clients that want to fund this for their, for their grandchildren, it's really important to them. Uh, and the program is so flexible. There's really no reason why you wouldn't want to start a program like that. So $2,500 a year is not a huge ask, especially if you're getting you know, baby bonus and other things, money from grandparents to help fund that for, for, that, for their children's legacy, right? Let's talk about the child can- the Canadian child benefit for a second, because I think this, and if you don't need it, to pay bills or anything like what's the best thing to do with that money you put it into the education savings plan absolutely and they're so flexible you can have a family plan if you have more than one child and you can shift the funds according to the needs of the kids uh, whether it's college or university or trade school they're so much more flexible than when they first came out so uh, you know grandparents can contribute aunts and uncles birthday money all kinds of things to help offset the costs for you directly And then you can also get a bond with the education savings plan. If you have a lower income in your family, you can actually get a step up of a couple thousand dollars in bond money, um, which is fantastic to help where it's needed. Okay. So obviously if somebody's listening right now and they're thinking, um, boy, oh boy, I am not ready for this. (laughs) What should they, what the, who can they contact at Meridian? So I encourage your listeners to reach out. We're at uh, www.meridiancu.ca and uh, just, you know, come with an open mind and and, uh, it's great information for you to have for you and your family to to protect everybody. All right. Incredible. Thanks so much for joining me today, Nancy. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. In a world seemingly divided on just about everything, there is one ability that can inspire and connect and is repeatedly being hailed as a superpower. That skill is empathy. And my next guest, Aaron Thorpe, is on a mission to help all leaders learn this powerful skill and implement it in their leadership. Aaron is committed to discovering your leader within and supporting you to lead with impact from the inside out. She joins me now to discuss. Welcome to what she said, Erin. Hi, thank you. I really have to say, I do feel like empathy is something that we're truly lacking in this world. And I feel like some people think it's got something to do with being weak. Do you, totally. do you feel that's the, the, the perception people have? 
Absolutely. I, I think there's a few perceptions. I think one is that we're born with it or we do, either we have it or we don't, right? That it's not something that can be learned. I think that there's definitely this perception that it's a weakness um, or that it is actually overly or being overly emotional and kind of messy. What is empathy then to you? I think there's a number of different levels we can practice empathy on. So there's cognitive empathy, which is uh, our ability to understand different perspectives and thinking. There's emotional empathy, which is where we can understand uh, and communicate about our emotional states with each other. And then there's behavioral empathy. So how we act, uh, you know, with each other and, and what that, what that allows us to either open up in a group or close down in a group. So, so those are really the three levels. I think if to really sum it up, it is just the ability to stand in someone else's shoes. So if for people who are leaders, then who are leading a group of people, uh, why is it so important for them to practice this skill? I believe it's important because you, you are leading one team, but it is made up of multiple different individuals. And every single one of those individuals is going to have different needs. That is why leadership is so much work. I mean, it can be so much work, but it's also so much fun. Now you help people obviously develop this skill. Um, what, what's the feedback you get from people as they start to actually really practice using empathy in their daily life? Uh, a couple things. So first and foremost is, you know, they realize that it's not all about messy emotions and having people crying on their desk. Uh, they realize just how really quite small adjustments have huge ripple effects in their team's performance, productivity, uh, general engagement, happiness, uh, also how much it impacts their own sense of well-being, uh, both in their personal and professional lives. Do you feel that the workplace in general, that people are shifting towards um, getting their managers and staff trained and, and working on empathy skills? I haven't seen the shift yet so much in the training aspect. I, we hear a lot of talk about it, right? There's lots of articles being published and lots of um, different um, conversations around empathy, just saying that, you know, it is a skill we need and we need to get out there. I haven't seen a big uptake yet in, in the mass training because there is still that perception that it's either a skill you have or don't, right? Um, and I always say this is like bicep muscles. We all have biceps, right? Some of our biceps are stronger than others. We all have the ability to be empathic and to practice empathy. Some of our skills are stronger than others. So I'm curious then, how do you get people to, what are sort of the first steps when you're talking to somebody to get them in touch with, with that skill? Yeah, it starts inside. Um, so, you know, that's why I, my book is called Inside Out Empathy, because it really, it's an inside job. It starts inside, uh, inside of us. So we have to get in touch with our own emotional state. We have to get in touch with our own uh, thinking and behaviors and really get to understand how we show up in the world as leaders before we can then start to adjust and, and either uh, match or meet the needs of our team. So then do you provide people with a series of exercises they can do to work on this skill? Yeah, there's a whole bunch of uh, different practices that I've developed and honed over the years. Some I still use myself. Uh, it really is an individual, um, an individual thing. It's like going to a personal trainer, right? We all have different goals and different strengths and weaknesses that we want to uh, overcome or, or enhance. And so each each individual leader that I work with gets a series of practices that really they then continue to use that will continue to build and strengthen their empathy muscles. Okay. So if people want to find out more then and work with you, uh, mm -hmm. where can they do that? Uh, so first place would be my website, which is uh, www.aaronthorpe.ca. Uh, there's no E on the end of Aaron, uh, Thorpe. So uh, that's a, a common mis, uh, spelling mistake. Uh, also, uh, LinkedIn is probably a great place to connect with me um, and Instagram. Well, Erin, I, I hope that more and more people are reaching out to you. I really think that the world is so divided. This is something not just in the workplace, but in our personal lives, we really need to be working on. 
Absolutely. I completely agree. And thank you so much for having me here today. No, thank you. I think this is a really important conversation we need to continue to have is to find that common ground with each other. Uh, The world will be a much better place. I need something to do because I can't watch the news anymore. Joining me now for Saturday Night at the Movies is Ann Brody. And Ann, you must be exhausted because Tiff is back on. It's on, baby, and it's on big time. (laughs) And I think people are really excited that it's here. It's a hybrid. You can watch. You can buy tickets for digital screenings. You can go in person. So, you know, just be safe, everyone. They've got all the COVID protocols in place. But um, I just wanted to talk about uh, one film called Night Raiders by Danny Goulet. Um, Amazing film. I think a lot of people are responding to it. Uh, It's about a woman played by Al Maya Tailfeathers, who you'll remember from uh, uh, when the world broke open. Um, She plays a mother who's living out in the bush with her daughter because it's a future dystopian society and the daughter will be taken away with, along with all the other children to the academy. So it's like the residential schools, but in a sort of a modern uh, retelling of it. So there, the weapons used by the government are drones. The drones find them in the bush. They have to make a run for it. They get to the city, they canoe into the city. It's horrifying the way life is in this place. And she has to fight. So she joins a band of Cree who are working underground to rescue children from the place. Um, And they believe that she's their guardian and that she'll save them. Just a wonderful film. Just wonderful. I got to say, as watching the trailer for this, I mean, clearly you're drawing connections between the residential schools and what this this movie is about. Uh, But it's the emotions that were so raw watching this. It just, oh, my heart. So I I, I can't wait to see this one. Um, The next one you've got is The Electrical Life of Lewis Wayne. And I, is it a comedy? Because I got to tell you, Benedict Cumberbatch, he was so endearing in that little snippet yeah. I saw. Yeah, well, it's its kind of whimsical. He plays, um, it's in the turn of the last century, and he he's married uh, to uh, Claire Foy's Emily. Anyway, he has schizophrenia, but she, so he's he has a lot of tics and things, um, but he's a productive person. He, you know, he, he paints uh, religiously because his wife's, ill and he he wants to lift her spirits with these cat paintings and they're look them up online he, he was a real artist they're just wonderful lively vivid um interpretations of what a cat is so that's what he's famous for and he also does other artwork as well but it's uh really unique and it's it's stayed in in our consciousness i'm sure you've seen some of them before and so, where can yeah. we catch that one that's a tiff all right. Excellent. Okay. Uh, nuisance bear. Man. Oh man. 14 minutes short as part of the TIFF shortcuts program. Oh my God. That wrecked me it, in 14 minutes. I got so much across as, as much as a regular film. It's uh, there's no narration. There's no music. It's one man following a bear who comes into um, uh, a city in Saskatchewan and um, Churchill, sorry, Churchill, Manitoba. And he's looking to migrate. He's on, it's his migration path. So they're doing everything in their power to get rid of him uh, from surrounding him with trucks and headlights and uh, gosh, just rips your heart out. And then he has to go through these packs of tourists who are flashing photos of him. People who go there just to watch him. He's on his own, he's helpless and he's confused. And it's just, we follow his journey and and see what happens to him. Honest to God, it is so good. All right. And the next one you've got is the card counter. And I just have to say, Tiffany Haddish, she is everywhere. Oh my God. She is, she's dramatic in this. And she and uh, Oscar Isaac have a romantic relationship and she's so good. She's multi-talented. What a find. So yeah. So Oscar Isaac plays William Tell and he's a, professional gambler he goes from tournament to tournament 
but he has a past. He was in, um, he was with Willem Dafoe's group of uh, privateers whose job was to capture U.S. soldiers, torture them, and, um, and kill them. So he's carrying this around with him. And then he meets Tiffany Haddish. He, he begins to think of life in new ways, but he can't get rid of it. And a, a boy comes to him, a boy whose father worked with him as a privateer. Really complex stuff, beautifully scripted, beautifully acted, uh, very intense. Really will take you, you know, to a different level. The card right. counter, excellent. Of course, you know, 9-11 uh, is here, a tragic anniversary that none of us look forward to, but we have come from a way to look at. I know, a bright spot. And it's about the 7,000 people who are diverted from New York airspace and Washington airspace into Gander, Newfoundland, which was only like 6,000 people at times. So their town doubled in size. What were they going to do with all these passengers? So everyone got together, all the locals and from other towns and fed them and clothed them and kept them for four days. And they created such a bond. The passengers were terrified. They sat on the tarmac for 13 hours and didn't know what was going on. Then they found out that, that the U.S. had been attacked. Um, and the music is just glorious. Those catchy tunes sung by this great cast. And I have interviews with them on the site. Um, but the thing is, each cast member plays different roles. So they play Newfoundlanders, so they play people from Pakistan or from uh, Texas. It's just a joy, a bright spot that was to be had in that time. All right. Well, you have got all of these plus more, plus how to uh, get to TIFF, how to find these shows and movies, uh, all on what she said talk.com. And you'll be back next week with more. I will. See you then, Candace. Thanks, Anne. For the love of God, stop bringing toilet paper to the Lions Club. How do you know what you need when you don't know how many you're needing to feed? When you don't know how many are staying, how long they are staying? We better start praying the weather stays nice. It's Stick around. More What She Said with Candace Sampson coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. When you look in the mirror each day, what thoughts bounce about in your head? Do you rip apart your size, your age, your naturally occurring wrinkles or cellulite? Summer in and in is a professionally trained coach specializing in body image, self-worth, and confidence. She helps people all over the world to stop living behind the numbers on their scales through her private and group coaching. She is also the best-selling author of Body Image Remix and creator of You on Fire, an online group coaching program dedicated to helping people get free from body shame. She joins me now to discuss. Welcome to the show, Summer. Hi, Candace. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, let's. where do these negative thoughts come from? You know, I think there it's twofold, really. The first major influence is the culture that we live in. You know, if you look around and you see what bodies are represented and how they are represented, it becomes pretty clear that there's a standard of beauty. There is this ideal of perfection that, um, you know, applies to all genders, but mostly women have this is a greater influence on um you know, it, you have to look a certain way. You have to be, you know, young, you have to look thin, you have to kind of be a health enthusiast. You have to have a, a house that looks like it came off HGTV. And so this, this standard of perfection and this ideal, which um, is really kind of born out of, out of, you know, the patriarchy and sexism. And, you know, I could go into the feminist aspect of it. Um, it really, contributes to the way we feel about ourselves. You know, we're constantly looking at ourselves and thinking, how do I measure up? 
you know, how do I measure up against this standard? And um, more specifically, as it relates to bodies, you know, we've learned that being thinner is better. So we're always looking at ourselves and any kind of body changes that we see, we're interpreting anything that goes the opposite way as being negative. And so we're constantly criticizing ourselves and it really feeds those negative thoughts. So, so they're not our fault. And then the second source is really just our own lived experiences. You know, if you were bullied as a kid, if you were made fun of, if you were made to feel less than, all of that stuff really contributes to that negative voice in your head. Doing the work to get rid of all of those hangups we have, though, that's deep, heavy work, isn't it? Yes, it is, because I think that it goes beyond just the surface level of, you know, trying to, you know, appreciate your stomach or something like that. Like, it's much deeper than that. The way I look at it is really um, an issue of self-worth and and knowing that we're good enough and knowing specifically that we're good enough regardless of how we look. Uh, I think that if we know that we are good enough regardless of how we look, then we're able to kind of look in the mirror and maybe like what we see or not, but still be able to kind of just go on with our day and live our life and feel good about ourselves and not let that reflection dictate how we feel about who we are as a person. And uh, because that generates a lot of fear, it generates a lot of fear in our lives, a lot of anxiety, a lot of stress, and it takes up so much time and energy. And so it is deep work because you're looking at unraveling, you know, where these thoughts came from for you. And you're looking at um, how can you build up a sense of self-worth and really divest that from your appearance? And yeah, it's not, it's not just like a simple kind of fix. <laughs> so is, is the number one sort of, I guess, um, complaint or hang up that women have, is it weight associated mostly? I would say predominantly, uh, a lot of my clients are more like Gen X. And so aging starts to become a huge factor as well. This idea that you start to feel a little bit more invisible. Um, the notion of like mortality kind of starts to play into your mind a bit, which I'm sure gets even more significant as time goes on. Uh, but I would say the driving force is really, is really weight. And that's because our, our culture is so weight centric. Everything is so fixated on, you know, trying to shrink your body. And from the moment we're born, we're sort of, we sort of adopt this belief that we need to be working on making ourselves smaller. And I would like to completely reject that notion and celebrate the, the fact that body diversity is real. And we all have, you know, different body sizes and we're meant to be different body sizes. We're not meant to be golden retrievers. We're not meant to all look the same. Um, and I want to see, you know, greater representation and I want to see us appreciate that about ourselves and everybody else in this, in this culture and really take down the diet industry. That's my main goal. <laughs> I just say that is a big goal. Uh, I think, I think there's a shift. I mean, now this could be me. I think there's been a shift in, um, mass media or more traditional media outlets to show body to positivity, uh, things like that. But social media, that's a different beast. Do you talk about that with your, your clients? Because I feel like social media is, I guess, the wild west of, of this culture, isn't it? That diet culture. Yeah. And so I think, you know, the social media can be the worst thing and it can be a great thing. And I think it's just how you filter it for yourself. And so I think that one of the big things I do with people when I work with them up front or when they say like, what's a big change that I can make to see a difference in how I feel about myself is change your social media. So anything that you see that makes you feel less than or makes you fixate on your weight or your body or make you feel like you're doing something wrong or you should be doing something different that doesn't feel aligned, that doesn't feel good for you, like to, to unfollow it, to get rid of it. And instead, the beautiful part about social media is that there are so many body positive accounts. There are so many influencers out there and just other you know people, coaches like myself who represent different body sizes and, um, you know, different races and different backgrounds, different abilities, different ages. And you can use that to start to expose yourself to that diversity and see that representation. And that has studies have shown that that has a direct influence on how we feel about ourselves. And so, you know, sometimes I'll work with people and they'll say, one of the biggest things, one of the biggest things that, um, that changed for me was just changing that social media that made me feel so much better seeing that representation, because when we don't see anyone that looks like ourself, 
Uh, you know, when we don't see people with like, you know, with rolls and wrinkles and cellulite and all this other stuff, we start to think there's something wrong with us for having those things. And so, you know, social media, I think for the younger generation, it definitely, I think is having an even bigger impact on their sense of self-worth and this notion of like having to look a certain way because so many of the people they look up to are these influencers that represent that ideal. Um, and it's hard to unfollow those because you feel like you're missing out. But um, I, my hope is that there's enough kind of people coming to the forefront that really have greater representation for people to start to, you know, follow those and look at those. But that, I mean, that intentional exposure can make such a huge difference to how we how we see ourselves. I like I like what you said there about intentional exposure because we have to remember there is an algorithm behind these social media platforms and they see what you are constantly scrolling on they feed you more and then you get stuck in an echo chamber so to get out of that you have to have an awareness of what is happening in those spaces. Absolutely and it, you almost want to create your own bubble <laughs> you know and but the I mean the advertisements are relentless like the the you're gonna get and you have to just be constantly like hide this ad this is not relevant um, and change those settings for yourself to to really it's it's I mean it's a move to protect your mental health it's a move to um, make you feel better as an overall person I mean your social media time shouldn't be making you feel worse about yourself if it does then something really needs to change. Uh, but we can kind of, you know, use that algorithm to our advantage to create, um, you know, a I mean, my feed is like all stuff that is great. It's all diversity. It's all, you know, representation of different bodies and different experiences. And it's, it's a place that I can go to, um, you know, feel like I've got my little safe space there. <laughs> and so the, speaking of safe spaces, you help create that with women through your coaching. Uh, I want people to be able to connect with you to find out more, obviously. So where can they find you? Because you are kind of all over the place. I am. So, you know, my, my, everything's at my website, summerinandin.com. But if you can't spell that, uh, it's the bodyimagecoach.com. If you, if you type that in, that'll redirect you to my website. Uh, I have a podcast called eat the rules, which has over 200 episodes where I talk about this stuff. Uh, I've been doing this work for over seven years now, so I've got a lot of content and, um, also on my website, you can find a free 10 day body confidence makeover with 10 steps to take right now to feel better in your body. And so again, that's at the body image coach com. All my social media is summer in and in though. So you can find me there. <laughs> All right. Incredible. Summer, thank you so much for joining me today. Great discussion. Thank you so much for having me. When the pandemic first hit, women across the country were forced into their homes and into their kitchens. Suddenly, we were all baking sourdough and trying new recipes, but it wasn't long before burnout set in and the thought of cooking yet another meal had us rolling our eyes. Women often bear the mental and physical load of cooking and meal prep for their families, and the pandemic only amplified this reality. Janine Rain is the co-founder of Zing, a Toronto-based company that makes chef-prepared pantry shortcuts to help home cooks bring a meal from your fridge to your table in 15 minutes or less. She joins me now to share the inspiration for Zing and how it's helping home cooks from coast to coast. Welcome to the show, Janine. Thanks for having me, Candice. It's nice to be here. So what's for dinner? That, that question, that could really set a woman off. <laughs> I think so. And uh, it, it really was something that got quite exacerbated last year when uh, really whether you wanted to cook more at home by choice or really because you had no choice because you couldn't go out to eat dinner or grab lunch at work. It was something that just got added to that to do list that just keeps getting longer and longer for everybody. Well, well this really is, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. So what was sort of the inspiration then for for Zing? The inspiration for Zing really was this pain point last year when, you know, we started to reflect on the fact that cooking was something and eating well and trying new things was something that really brought our families and our friends together, um, but it really was turning into a chore. So 
we started to think about, you know, what are the things that restaurants do to get a meal that's made to order from the kitchen to your table in about 20 minutes? And uh, we started to dig into that a little bit more. And the answer was really the use of smart condiments and seasoning salts and and simmer sauces and, and all of these complex uh ingredients that you're adding to a protein, a starch, or a veggie of your choice, um, and then really cooking it and bringing it together as a full meal. And we said, well, what if we could take some of that inspiration and and give home cooks the opportunity to do the same? Um, A lot of what goes into cooking isn't just about preparing the meal itself. There is that mental load, like you, you referenced right at the top of planning, prepping, sourcing ingredients and then making it. And then if you're doing it every day, doing that all over again. So the idea of a pantry shortcut is really to help you add a boost of flavor without the effort. You could take a zinc condiment, add it to a protein, a veggie, a starch, and cook it how you normally would. And if you want it, you don't have to add really anything else. And you could get that meal to your table in 15 minutes, just like you would at a restaurant. So is it is there one pantry shortcut? We have a line of seven. So we have three condiments uh, and we have four, soon to be four seasoning salts. Uh, We have a chili crisp that is a fusion of Sichuanese and Hakka, Indo-Chinese Hakka cuisine. We have a hot honey that's quite complex in that it's not just a spicy honey. It has a lot of herbs and spices infused in it. We have a garlic spread. Uh, we have three seasoning salts that are named smoky, zesty, and umami. They can really give you an idea of what the flavor profile might be for the dish that you're creating. So really chasing versatility. And how has the response been from uh, burnt out home cooks? Honestly, when we started last year, we started it more as a passion project to see, you know, are we the only ones feeling like this? Um, And the response has been quite overwhelming in that we hear we've sold thousands of these now over the past several months. And we hear proactively from home cooks, especially those that are young moms um, and young parents with children at home, saying that they're now in a position where either their kids are excited about mealtime now because there's exciting new ways and exciting new flavors at the table because we are creating uh, flavors for everyone, or they're finding that they no longer have to prepare two meals and they could just make one dish and the kids get to eat what they've prepared. And for the adults, you can zhuzh it up a little bit by just adding a bit of zinc. So it really is alleviating a lot of that physical and mental load. And how are people finding your products then? Do they order online? Are they in stores? Uh, You can order Zing from cookwithzing.com and we ship across Canada. And you also find us in a select number of retailers listed on our website across Ontario. I love these stories of of companies that, you know, were born out of the pandemic. So the question is, where do you go post-pandemic? It's interesting. We're navigating that right now because we are trying to, 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 to make sure that we can create, our, create an opportunity for Canadians, no matter where they are, to, to buy the products and, and use them in their day-to-day cooking. Just because you don't live in Toronto doesn't mean that you shouldn't have access to, to some of these exciting flavors. So we're really having conversations with retailers to, to, to expand our reach across Canada and also making sure that we are well set up on the e-commerce side to, to ship to wherever you need to go. All right. Uh, Do you share recipe inspiration at all on your social media channels? Absolutely. You could go to cookwithzing.com and there's almost 100 recipes that you can use for reference. Uh, We also post recipes in our social channels. A part of our model is also to partner with local chefs to to co-create some of these products. And so they're also sharing a lot of their recipe inspiration as well. But we do also really encourage home cooks to experiment. Um, if you feel comfortable doing so, just add zing to, to whatever you're, you're making that night. And uh, hopefully you'll have something new and exciting to try. All right. Well, I'm sure there's a lot of home cooks listening to this cheering you on right now. So thanks very much for joining me today. And I will be looking for Cook with Zing. Thank you so much, Candice. It's great to be here. Have a story for what she said? Email us at 1059theregion.com. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 1059 The Region. Love me. 
is an essential part of child development, exploration, and how we learn about the world and how it works. Sadly, it is often dismissed. Frances Fishman is the founder of The Playbase, a behavioral science provider that helps kids grow through what they need most, play. Frances didn't like the cold cookie cutter approach of the child sitting on one side of the table and the therapist on the other, which led her to develop the play base, which now encompasses a group of behavioral therapists who help children grow, learn, and socialize through a play-based approach. Welcome to What She Said, Frances. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. So tell me why you came up with this. Like, I mean, I know I realize you didn't like the back and forth, but was there a moment where you said this is not working? So truly, I was trained by a psychologist and behavior analyst in this approach for years. And I became a behavior analyst and decided I needed to do this other approach that I knew so many people were doing, but that I wasn't properly trained in. So I went and I joined other companies that were providing this more tabletop, um, you know, show three items, select the correct item as a way of teaching, which is called discrete trial training or um, IBI or DTT. And it didn't sit well for me as the main approach to teaching kids every skill that they need, like social skills, life skills are not really skills that I would teach over a tabletop. And I found that there were definitely certain academic skills that were not properly learned this way. And so as I was doing this for the years that I was doing it, it just felt really uncomfortable inside. And my husband at the time, he's my husband, he's my fiance at the time. He looked at me and he was like, why don't you just start your own company, which is something you've always wanted to do and do what you know is right. So I did. And that's how the play base was born. Amazing. And so you tell therapists that they're tricking children into learning through play Uh, and and (laughs) parents can learn from this as well, right? Yes. It's actually... The fundamental way that children learn is through play. Play is how they explore the world. It's how they figure out different parts of themselves, how the world works. They have, they're like little scientists who are testing little theories out throughout their play. They're either doing pretend play, trying to take on these different personas. They're doing play, building things, seeing what happens when they build them really high. They're doing play, you know, in artistic and dance and music and different formalities. And this is how they really learn about who they are and how the world works. And so what better way to teach them than through the way that they naturally learn the best. And that's through play. And parents can really use that. Like often parents sit down and watch their kids or let their kids play. And I encourage parents to do that, to give them that independent time. But also I encourage parents to sit down get on the ground on your knees or on your bum and play with them. It is the best way to build a strong relationship, but it's also a way for you to learn more about your own kid and to loosen up a bit, especially since we've all been so tense and anxious and worried this past like year and a half. It's a really nice way to just let go and just be a kid again. I I think a lot of parents are listening to this right now and nodding and agreeing with you. Mm -hmm. However, there is a group of parents who say, uh, can we talk about the teenagers who are way too cool for this now? (laughs) How do we get them to actually want to continue to play? Because there does seem to be a shutdown of that when they get to a certain age. So I think the best, the best answer to that is really to get outside, Um, you know, playing, sitting down at the computer or the video games. Yeah. You might have a parent who wants to do that with their kid. And to some parents, they're like, I can't even wrap my head around this. There's no way I'm sitting there and staring at a screen. I have no idea what's happening, but to get them outside and get them moving and getting them to do. So some parents that are, are, working with, or they have older children, what I'm doing with them is I'm showing them how they can move their bodies, like go for a walk, go for a bike ride, go play basketball, go throw a ball around, go run around, just walk through nature and have a conversation where in that conversation, you're letting them share something with you that is important to them and vice versa, giving them an opportunity to also hear something that's important to you. And then that way you guys are doing that exchange and you're also moving your bodies and you're also engaging in play if possible. And now with school starting, uh, there's a lot of kids, teenagers, parents, there's a lot of anxiety around school right now. Um, How are you talking to parents about that? 
The main thing I'm talking to parents about is how they can prepare their children to go into school. And there are a few tips that I give parents and I am also going to be using with my own children. And the first tip is always to prime them. And priming is like giving a preview of what's going to happen. So, you know, I'm going to drive by my kid's school that they haven't ever attended before. Or for some other kids, it may be a school they haven't attended in a while and just drive by it, let them see it. If it's possible, if the playground is open or something like that, let them kind of re-explore the environment, let them play there. If you could have a play date with peers that are in their age group, in their age group or in their class, if you know who's going to be in their class, that would be so great. Reconnect them with peers. And I know with COVID, there are safety issues. So doing it outside at the playground or going to like a baseball field or something and just getting them to play again, interact again. I think those are some of the most important things. It's giving them that preview, that reminder, but then also giving them the opportunity to re-immerse themselves into that social and that play environment, which they will be in again in September. And that they so for some kids, they have never, ever been in that environment. And for some kids, they haven't been there in a long time and that can cause anxiety. So giving them that opportunity to kind of in like little trickles, like here's a play date with one peer that we know that you get along with, or that we hope that you might get along with. And here's a play date with another one. Maybe we're going to have a group gathering or something outside. Those are some really great tips. And the last one, which I think is the most important, and this is just like a life skill that I think all of us need to have, and that's a coping strategy. So mindfulness or breathing exercises or something that your child can turn to when things get tough or when they're feeling that anxiety or uncomfortable feeling, which inevitably we're all going to feel in our lives. And come September, there will be, you know, some kids are separating from their parents after being with their parents for almost two years. Some of them are separating from their parents after being uh, away from them for the summer, perhaps for camp. So there's lots of different dynamics and giving them that opportunity to have a tool that they've practiced, they've rehearsed at home, like a breathing tool, a self-regulation tool. Maybe you send them with a picture of something that makes them feel so they have access to something that they can access when they need it the most, when they're feeling that uncomfortable feeling. And it's something that you have practiced with them at home, something they have chosen that they feel comfortable with. And so giving them that tool, I think is essential going back to school, especially because when they're in school, you're not there. Perhaps during the school year you were, maybe you weren't. I know that for me, I was in and out, I was back and forth, but this gives them an independent way to cope with their own feelings, which is a tool for life. All right. I agree. I couldn't agree more, actually. So I want people to be able to connect with you, find out more. Where can they do that? Um, so on Instagram, we're at the Playbase. On Facebook, we're at the Playbase and theplaybase.com. All right, Francis, thank you so much. Thank you. That's it for What She Said for this week. Stay up to date with our newsletter by signing up at whatshesaidtalk.com. And be sure to follow on social at What She Said Talk on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for videos of these interviews and more. Finally, be sure to subscribe to What She Said with Candace Sampson on Apple and Spotify to re-listen to this episode and find full details for all of today's guests. I'll be back next week with more What She Said on 105.9 The Region. Previous episodes of What She Said on 1059theregion.com.